Well, what a joy today to celebrate all that God is doing through the ministry of Bell Shoals. And God is at work in a mighty way through his people here at Bell Shoals. 19 people coming today at our Brandon campus to be baptized. Last week, last week, we had 95 prospective new members at our Next Steps lunch between Brandon and Apollo Beach. Over the past two years, we've welcomed over 600 new members with nearly 200 of them coming through baptism. Over the past two years, in this season we call COVID, because of your generosity, we have not lowered any financial support for any missionary, any ministry, or any church planner that is a part of the Bell Shoals family. In fact, not only have we continued the mission, not only have we continued to fund and to fuel ministry all around the world, but we have also over the past two years paid down nearly three and a half million dollars on our debt. And, and here's some good news. In just a couple of weeks, we will for the first time in a long time come under the $10 million mark. We are losing a whole number category. And um, we're very, very excited about that. As you heard this morning, we just had a mission team come back from Mexico City where God worked in a great way. We're getting back to the mission field and we couldn't be more excited. We just had over 300 students at Movement Weekend. Many of you are part of that. You've seen many of them baptized today. Lives changed. God is at work through the ministry of Bell Shoals in a profound way. And so what would we expect to be the case as a result? Our enemy isn't happy. And we have an enemy. And I don't think he's very happy with you. You keep inviting people to church. You keep sharing the gospel. You keep showing sacrificial generosity. You keep uniting together as a fellowship for the cause of Christ in West Central Florida. You keep welcoming students into your home as a part of events like Movement Weekend. You, 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 you keep inviting people to come with you for our Easter family fun night here in a couple of weeks. We have hundreds of teenagers today filling thousands of Easter eggs <laughs> in some form or fashion. I think the enemy is upset with that. This is how terrible our enemy is. He doesn't like Easter eggs. <laughs> Listen, wherever you see God at work, you will find our enemy at work. And this is a reminder to us today that the ministry of the church, that those of us who are part of the Bell Shoals family are certainly grafted into by the grace of God. Listen to me very, very carefully. The ministry of the church is not a playground, it is a battleground. 
And there are a lot of people in the world today that just see church as a spiritual playground. They see it as a reprieve from everything else in life. They see it as an opportunity to get a little bit of encouragement, to get a, a, just a little bit of hope, a little bit of blessing, a little bit of fellowship. And, and let me tell you something, the church certainly brings those things to the table. This, this ministry, this fellowship, this body, this movement does all of those things, but it's not intended just to be a little playground where we are infused with a little bit of positivity and hope and encouragement every now and then. What we do through the ministry of the church is warfare. It is spiritual warfare. This is not a playground, it's a battleground. And wherever God is at work, our enemy is at work. This isn't just true for our church family, it's true for your family. It's not just true for me or a member of our pastoral team or those with seminary degrees or missionary calling, this is true for every single follower of Christ. Where God is at work in your life, where God is at work in your family, where God is at work through your career, where God is at work through your influence, mark it down, the enemy is also going to be at work. This is why when we look around the world, we find dysfunction and chaos. You say, why is it that we live in a world where just over the past decade, there's been a radical redefinition of marriage, a radical redefinition of gender? Why is the corruption among people of influence so profound? Why is the presence of of abuse so rampant? Why is there so much dysfunction? Why is there so much chaos? I'll tell you why, because we have an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy. We have an unseen enemy at work in the world. Reminds me of the Hungarian doctor of the 19th century, Ignaz Semmelweis, who long before the world knew about the presence of germs, (laughs) he developed what was called the germ theory. It was just a theory then, here's how it went. Back in the 19th century, there was a high mortality rate within the medical field. The mortality rate among physicians working with patients was higher than it should have been, certainly higher than it is today, and no one really knew why. And Ignaz Semmelweis began to experiment with some of his interns and some of his staff with one simple technique that he thought could be a key because during that day and time, as doctors and medical professionals did their work, they just went from one patient to the next. And the one thing they didn't do was wash their hands because no one saw the need for it. You can't see germs after all. And so no one thought that washing their hands, moving from sick patient to sick patient was that big a deal. But Ignaz Simonweis just, just had a theory that perhaps that, 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 that might be a reason or a cause. And so, and so with his staff, he began to require that they wash their hands. Sure enough, over the next couple of years, the mortality rate with his patients came down significantly. He was on to something. The problem is everyone thought he was crazy. No one believed him. 
not even his own wife who should have been tuning into our Ephesians series from a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> but she wasn't. And so no one believed them. No, no, no one embraced this theory. No, no one put it into widespread practice for one simple reason. No one could see the germs that were being spread. And because they couldn't see them, they, they did not believe in their existence. And it wasn't until we developed the technology to see them that it was widely embraced that sure enough, you know what? Washing your hands makes a huge difference. Ignaz Semmelweis was a leader well before his time. And when we think about our enemy, when we think about his army, when we think about his influence, make no mistake about it, it is unseen, but it is still very real. And just because you can't see him or his army or his work in the world or in your life or in your family or in our church, make no mistake about it, it is still there. He is still real and his legions are still working. Jesus acknowledged this actually in somewhat of a tragic scene. You recall where Peter was trying to resist what Jesus knew needed to happen. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. I don't recommend you quote Jesus in your next argument with your spouse. <laughs> that, that's not the idea. <laughs> Jesus, of course, wasn't calling Peter Satan. Peter was not Satan. But what was Jesus saying to us in that moment? Clearly, Peter was being influenced by Satan. He was trying to prevent something that Jesus knew needed to happen. Jesus acknowledging with that simple statement that our enemy, although unseen, is powerful and at times influential. And so wherever God is at work, just, just make a note of this. Our enemy is at work. He's going to be at work. He's trying to hinder the work of God in the world. And so we need to be aware of this enemy. He is unseen, but he is real. And we have to approach our enemy with wisdom. That's why C.S. Lewis years ago said, when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take them altogether too seriously or they do not take them seriously enough. You see, we need to avoid two extremes. On the one hand, we need to avoid giving Satan and his minions too much credit for power that they don't have because we know that the devil is limited by the parameters that God establishes for him. He is not God. He is not, not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. No, the devil is ultimately God's devil. And he should not be given power in our minds that he does not possess. Sometimes people wanna blame the devil for everything. A traffic jam, a lost set of keys, missing the sale at the mall. And although I do believe that the traffic on Lithia Pinecrest Road is demonic, 
We have to be very, very careful not to give the devil too much power. But C.S. Lewis is absolutely right. We also have to be very careful not to ignore him altogether and thus find ourselves in the midst of a battle without full awareness and preparation. We need wisdom because our enemy seeks to impact our personal walk with Christ, our marriage, our family, our relationships, our purity and integrity, and ultimately the ministry of the church. Make no mistake about it, the goal of our enemy is destruction. He cannot rob you of your salvation. He cannot hinder the work of God. But he can certainly seek to create chaos in your life, chaos in your witness, and attempt to render your life and your influence ineffective. And his aim is destruction. Here's the way Peter said it in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober-minded and be alert. Don't give the devil too much power. Don't give him too much credit, but don't pretend like he's not at work. No, be alert, Peter says. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for anyone he can devour. Notice two things there. Notice, first of all, that the devil is likened to a lion, which is a member of the cat family, which means that cats are demons and they are to be avoided. <laughs> can I get an amen from dog lovers in the house? Thank you. It's... It's not rocket science, it's scriptural, all right? A litter box in your home is evidence of demon possession, all right? Now, actually, what is Peter helping us to understand? That, that the devil, in a limited fashion, in a fashion that's ultimately governed by the sovereignty of God, is working in this world to devour, right? That's where... Temptation, that's where circumstance, that's where there are things that happen in our lives, in our church that frankly on the surface may, may appear to be coincidental or random or something, but, but actually we just have to keep in mind that there are circumstances, temptations, threats of division, challenges that surface not out of coincidence, but out of spiritual warfare. Our enemy is like a lion seeking to devour. He is at work. And so here's what I love about how the Apostle Paul closes out his letter to the Ephesian church that we've been studying together these past several weeks. He closes it out with a battle plan. Paul has talked to us about the glory of our salvation and the fact that we are in Christ because of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's initiative. There is nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God that is in King Jesus, nothing. We were dead, now we are alive. And the devil can't change that. He cannot rob you of your salvation. He cannot steal from you your salvation. The devil is limited in his power, but he is still at work in this world. And so Paul understands that there are battles raging around us that we don't always think about. Because our enemy is unseen and therefore we often assume that the battle is not there. 
If we can't see it, it must not be happening. And so Paul closes out this incredible letter with a battle plan, and he's trying to awaken us to the reality that there are things happening around us that although unseen, are very real. And so let me give you a key takeaway today. I encourage you to make a note of this. All right, here we go. Look, we have to therefore fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. We fight spiritual battles, the spiritual battles that are happening all around us with spiritual weapons. There are some things we need to put on. There are some things that, that, that we need to prepare for. There are some things that we need to address. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare and can only fight a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. And so he's rallying us together at the end of this letter to, to help us to understand all that he's taught us about marriage, all that he's taught us about family, all that he's taught us about what it looks like to walk in unity, all that he's taught us about what it looks like to walk in integrity, all that he's taught us about what it looks like to walk in newness of life, right? He, he's saying, okay, okay, there, there, there is a, a part of this that's going to involve battle. You're gonna have to get up every day, prepared to go to war. The, the enemy is unseen, but he's very, very real. And you can't fight a spiritual enemy with physical weapons. You need spiritual weapons. And so here's what Paul says. Let's go to Ephesians 6. This is how he closes out this incredible letter. Check this out. He says, finally then be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength and put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood ultimately, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. And so he says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And so he says, stand therefore, stand with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray, I love this, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You can't fight a spiritual battle without spiritual weapons. And Paul outlines for us what it looks like to fight with some spiritual weapons. Now, if you're taking notes, just, just write this down. This, this passage is really broken up into two sections. The first relates to a state of mind and a state of being that should always be true of us. And the second relates to some things that we need to utilize when we need them. Let me kind of give an example of what this means. When I used to play baseball, right? Or when you look at baseball players now, what do you find? They're always in uniform when they hit the field. The uniform never comes off. The uniform is always there. It's a state of being for a baseball player. You walk onto the field, you are in uniform. No matter what you face throughout the course of that game, you are in uniform. 
That is, that, is, that is an indication that you are on the team and which team you are on. That uniform never comes off. That uniform represents your state of being on the field. However, the tools that you use depend upon the various situations in which you find yourself. You don't take a bat out into center field with you. You take a glove. You don't take a glove to the plate with you. You take a bat. If the sun is out, you have eye black. If it's not, you may not need it, right? If you're a pitcher, you, you, you have that, 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 that bag that kind of helps keep your hand dry, right? Or you put some Vaseline in your glove, give you a little extra spin on that curveball, right? <laughs> Here's what Paul is saying. Like a baseball player, here's how a Christ follower needs to operate in the world. The first part of this passage outlines for us the state of being that ought to characterize our lives on a daily basis, the uniform that we wear. There are some things he's saying that ought to be true of us every single day. And then he's gonna walk us through some tools and some weapons that we have at our disposal that we utilize whenever necessary. And so what's the state of being? Well, let's start back in verse 10 again. Here's the state of being. Paul, notice here, he says in verse 10, he says, you need to be strengthened by the Lord by his vast strength. I love the emphasis. What's true of our state of being? That, That we are a people who are dependent upon the strength and power of God. We don't fear the devil or his power. We don't give him too much credit. We are strengthened by the Lord in his overwhelming strength. Adrian Rogers said years ago, I love this. Our enemy is a decided fact, but he's also a defeated foe. And our strength comes from the Lord. I'm reminded of this strength drawn from the Lord and his power and his authority going back to the days of Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 6, when, when, when Israel found itself surrounded by the Aramean army. The king of Aram was threatening the very existence of Israel, but Elijah had a word from the Lord and Elijah was fully confident in the Lord. Elijah fully confident that the enemies of Israel would not conquer or prevail because he knew that their armies were not more powerful than the armies of God. But on the surface, it looked really, really bad. And, and one of Elijah's servants comes to him and, and like he's, 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 he's overwhelmed. Let me show you what happens here back in 2 Kings chapter six. When the servant of the man of God, of Elijah, got up early and he went out, he, here's what he found. He discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. The king of Aram had sent his army to besiege the city where Elijah was staying, right? And so, and so early in the morning, Elijah's servant gets up, he looks down, he's like, oh no, we are literally surrounded. Horses, chariots, soldiers, surrounded. And so he comes into Elisha and he says, master, what are we going to do? And look at what Elijah said. I love this. Don't be afraid, man. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And this is one of those moments where I would love to observe what this guy does, the servant. Because no doubt he's standing there with Elijah like, um, I don't think you understand what I'm talking about here, okay? I was just outside 
I was just looking around. We are completely besieged, completely surrounded. Did you not hear me? Horses, chariots, soldiers. We don't have enough troops to go up against these people. Like I admire your optimism, but this is not sound strategy. Like there aren't more of us. There aren't more of us. And Elijah picks up on this guy's fear and on his hesitation. And so here's what happens next, check this out. So Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. Here's what happens miraculously. Elisha says, God, open his eyes so that he sees the spiritual warriors that you have placed all around us. Give him a glimpse into the spiritual warfare that is happening, into your angels, into your army that you have around us. And so the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then he's basically like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) That's the end of the story. And does Israel lose its existence in the world to the king of Aram? No, it does not. Because the Lord had an army of angels to protect his people. And how did he do it? Well, he brought the armies of Aram into delusion through his angelic host, and they ended up going to the wrong place. And God preserved his people. And what did Elisha's servant learn that day? You don't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. And you don't cower to the enemy by failing to trust in the promises of God. And God had promised his people that he would not let them be destroyed. And Elijah's like, okay, God, this guy didn't get it. Go ahead and open his eyes. Just this one time, God, please, I would find this hilarious. Just open his eyes. Just open his eyes. Let him see what you've shown me. See, this is just one example that's a reminder that we draw our strength from the Lord. We lean into the power and the promises of God. He is always faithful to do what he's promised to do. When God said that he will never leave you or forsake you, he meant it. The devil will never, ever prevent God from doing that. And so Paul, I love this, says, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. Put on your uniform, right? This is a state of being every single day. You ought to go to work. You ought to to go throughout your day prepared for some type of spiritual battle because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this darkness, of this evil, of these spiritual forces that are around us. And so put on the full armor of God. This word struggle there, when Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood is is a profound word. It's not the normal word for struggle. It's like a word that literally means to wrestle, like on the ground, hand hand combat. He's like, this is going to be a struggle. And in life, we are going to struggle. And in life, we are going to hurt. In life, we are going to grow weary. But, but there's a struggle. And Paul is saying, don't find yourself in the struggle without the right uniform. Put on the armor of God. Our enemy is unseen. Therefore, so is our armor. And therefore, when you get to verses 14 and 17, you get to the second part of this instruction. He's saying, okay, you got some tools. You got some tools. 
Here are the tools that you need to use. He begins in verse 14 to lay them out, right? Like the, 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 the righteousness, like a belt, sandals, like representing the gospel of peace, right? Take the God. He, he begins to lay this out. But before he does, just in verse 14, notice Paul, he, he gives us a really strong word there. He says, but you're gonna have to stand. Get your uniform on. Understand that what's happening in your life, your family, your church, there's, there's, a, there's a spiritual battle behind the scenes. You can't always see it and discern it. Sometimes you can see it with time and distance, but, but in the moment it's hard to see, but it's there. And so you better put on the right uniform. And then I just, want, I just have to point this out to you. This is huge. And then Paul says, verse 14, you better stand. You better stand. Now, you know why this word is so important? Because this is the primary biblical command to the church when it comes to our spiritual battle. Stand. I know most people are conflict averse. Most people would rather avoid conflict. Most people would rather avoid any type of tension or wrestling. I just want you to understand, listen to me, your enemy is not so inclined. And so you need to stand. There are actually only two examples in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul tells us to flee. Only two. You know what they are? One relates to the love of money and the other relates to the lust of the flesh. In other words, let me break it down for you in a real way, okay? When it comes to the monies or the honeys, you flee. Are you with me? Monies or honeys, you flee. Everything else, Paul says, you stand. You fight. You resist. Because we're in a war. This word stand is a strong word. It's a strong command. It's a reminder to us that we're in the world, not of the world, but as long as we're in the world, we're going to have to fight. Parents, we just talked about what it means to bring up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. No matter if your kids are in public school, private school, home school, can I just give you a word? You need to stand and fight for your kids. If some of you think that you can homeschool your kids and protect them from the schemes of the devil, you are sadly mistaken. If you think you can send your kids to private school, even the finest private school in the history of the world, Bell Shoals Academy meets right here every week. Okay, if you think you can put your kids in a private school and they're not gonna encounter the schemes of the wicked one, you are sadly mistaken. If you think that you can shrink wrap your family and put them in some kind of spiritual bubble and avoid the schemes of the devil, you are mistaken. We are all in a warfare wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing. Parents, we need to teach our kids to stand, fight, and be counted for King Jesus because we are in a war. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. You go to work every day, mom and dad. You go to work every day, Christ follower. Don't expect to go to work in a secular world and expect to find people singing kumbaya in hymns. It's warfare. It's warfare. What does Paul say? You got to stand. 
You wanna live in a world that's trying to teach our kids that it's okay for a five-year-old to have a sex change operation? You're gonna have to stand. You wanna live in a world where people are telling us there's no absolute truth and there's no certainty of salvation and we're all just basically extensions of apes and monkeys without true meaning and purpose? You're gonna have to stand. The world system is not for you. The secular society in which we live is not for you. There are spiritual battles raging behind the scenes. And although we should not be overcome with fear and we should not become paranoid or weird, emphasis on weird. (laughs) Listen to me. There are gonna be times we have to stand. Put on your uniform, a spiritual Armory to fight a spiritual battle. What does Paul say? Stand. Very few instances in the New Testament we're told to flee. He says we need to stand. And how do we stand? And what are the weapons at our disposal? Let me just touch on them quickly, right? You see here that Paul is using a Roman centurion as a metaphor. And like a Roman centurion has a belt, Paul says, we have a belt. What is the belt? It's truth. Why is truth so important? Because the devil is a liar. Always has been, always will be. He is a liar. He creates dysfunction in the world through lies, manipulation, and deceit. The devil is a liar. How do we stand? With a belt of truth. He says, with an armor plate of righteousness, integrity, holiness, humility, righteousness, we stand apart from the wickedness of the world with shoes ready to carry the gospel of peace. There are times we need to not only stand up, there are times we need to speak up. Maybe it's inviting someone to Easter with you. Maybe it's sharing your testimony. Maybe it's defending your faith. You have to speak up. Gospel Shoes that carry good news to the world. He says, a shield of faith. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And our God is at work in the world today through the faith and faithfulness of his people. The Christian life is a life of faith, a helmet and a sword. That's the power of God's word. We take God's word into our lives. We focus on God's word in our services. Why? Because God's word is power. It is truth. It is life-changing. It is transformative. Arm yourself regularly with the word of God in your heart and mind. And then finally in verse 18, prayer. Paul tells us that we should pray. I love this. Pray at all times in the spirit and stay alert. You can pray with your eyes open. There's no biblical instruction that says you have to close your eyes to pray. You can pray while you're driving. You can pray in the shower. You can pray while you're at work. But just throughout the day, mindful of God's presence in your life, mindful of his power, mindful of his word, mindful of his enabling, and praying throughout the day for something that the spirit brings to mind. Praying at all times. You don't have to be in a closet. That's a good thing to be in a closet. You don't have to be at church. It's a good thing to pray at church. You don't have to be at a meeting. It's a good thing to pray at a meeting. You can pray in your cubicle or your office, pray in your car. 
But if we're gonna fight spiritual battles, we have to fight them with spiritual weapons. What are they? Truth, righteousness, faith, evangelism, and the word of God and prayer. Now I just point these out to you so that you recognize today you have all of these things at your disposal. Isn't that good news? You've got the weaponry. You've got all the weaponry you need today to fight, to stand, to be counted, to protect your family, to protect your testimony and to make a difference in this world. The devil cannot stop the work of the church. And so we got to go to war. I just have to tell you, that's, that's why I love every single time we have baptisms. To be reminded about ultimately our hope and our victory is about one man and one man only, and his name is Jesus. A Jesus who came into our brokenness, a Jesus who came to die for our sin, and a Jesus who rose from the dead to ensure victory for all who believe. A Jesus who is our powerful creator and our ongoing sustainer. Jesus is the key. And that's why every single time we baptize, do you notice, we ask a simple question of those coming to publicly profess their faith in Jesus. There's one simple question, who is Lord? I tear up when I hear these people ask that question. Today, you saw it, old and young, doesn't matter. Anybody can be changed by the power of Jesus. Americans, Mexicans, Cubans, it doesn't matter. All can be changed by the power of Jesus. I know Pastor Jaime thinks God's more at work in his campus. And he is wrong. No. You know why we love to have Pastor Jaime and our Espanol family with us? It's a reminder that God is at work through all people, through all ages, all demographics. There is no one who can stop the power of Jesus. And they all come together in a day like today and they come into these waters that don't save them, but that symbolize for us what their salvation looks like of being dead to their old way of life and raised to new life in Christ. And they declare together, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And therefore we have power. We have enabling, we have strength. We have all that we need to fight. We just have to put on the uniform and use the weapons that we have. I wanna encourage you to do that. To stand, to fight, to be counted, to make a difference, knowing you have all the power you need to make a difference because Jesus is Lord.